This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. And you can get started for a very small amount. And even if you just start transferring $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month, whatever you feel like you can afford, it's going to pay dividends in the long run. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, we're going to be having a discussion with certified financial planner practitioner Damian Dunn about how parents can best save for college. Second, we are back with our generational wealth segment. This quarter, we're featuring author and financial educator Janelli Espinal, and we're discussing the pros and cons of teens having credit cards, and if it's a good idea or not. All right, let's jump into today's show. The future costs of college can be frightening for parents. Depending on when your child attends college in the future, this could be a multi-six-figure sum that we're talking about here. Knowing that we need to save and invest so much to make a student debt-free future possible, this question often pops up for parents. How? do we save for college? Well, big questions like these are always better with really smart friends. So I thought I'd answer this one with Damian Dunn. Damian is the vice president of advice of Your Money Line, as well as a certified financial planner practitioner. He also co-hosts the popular Pete the Planner radio show and podcast. When Damian isn't supporting folks with financial advice, He's spending time with his family, which usually means chasing the kids to swim meets. Welcome back to the show, Damian. Hey, Andy. Great to be here. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I know all about chasing the kids around the entirety of our community, so I feel for you there. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of uh, lots of gas money and lots of concessions being bought in our household. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's answer this question. What is the best way to save for college nowadays? I We could beat around the bush and we could play games with this answer, but I think the overwhelming solution for most people is what's known as a 529 account. These were started in the mid-90s as a federal program. Well, sorry, in addition to the federal tax code, but they are administered by states. So it's very likely that your state has a specific 529 plan just for you. Got it. What, what makes this good for parents who are looking to save? I mean, what are these benefits? There's a number of them, but frankly, at first, it's super convenient. They're easy to set up and they're easy to administer. And if you don't know a thing about investing, that's okay because they have these things called target date funds, which I would guess that you've you've discussed a number of times on your show. So I'm not going to belabor that point, but they have a, a version of target date funds that are set up for basically the graduation time of your student takes all the guesswork out of investing. So they're super convenient. Uh, there's a couple different options of 529s or flavors, if you will. There's a, a prepaid tuition plan. So if you know your kids are going to go to a public school in state, you can buy tuition for them at today's prices. Even if they're you know two, three, four years old, you can get a huge discount on the cost that you're going to pay on that tuition if you choose to go that route. Or you can go to the grow as you go type of plan where you make contributions just like a Roth IRA or 401k at work, and that money grows over time. And whatever pot of money you've established when your child goes off to school, that's what you can draw from to pay for their education. 
There's also some state tax benefits. Now, not every state offers these, but a number of states offer either deductions or credits on your state income tax, not your federal, but your state income taxes. You'll have to check with your state-run 529 plan to check that out, but that can be very beneficial. I I live in the state of Indiana, and I know that if I contribute $5,000 to a 529 a year, Combined, so if you've got multiple kids, it'd be a combination for $5,000. I'm going to get 1000 bucks off my state taxes. So you get some immediate payback on those contributions as well. That's very healthy for Indiana right there. Uh, Michigan, I don't think it's as favorable, but we do get a state tax deduction as well. So both Damien and I, are, as parents, are saving a little bit of coin contributing to our 529s. Let's talk about some of the cons. You hear some people saying, ah, I don't know, it's kind of restrictive. What if they don't go to school? Let's talk about some of the cons of a 529. Yeah, sometimes the investment choices aren't as great as if you were to try and do the investing on your own. Sometimes the fees may be a little bit higher or you're just going to have a a smaller menu to choose from, frankly. So sometimes that can get in your way or be a little bit of a turnoff. But I would still look at a 529, even if the investment options aren't that great, especially if you get some tax help from the, the state side on your income taxes. And also, the money's tied up for education for the most part. It's not that you can go back in and dip this money out for some other reason. You can, I guess I should say, but you're going to be paying some penalty and tax if you do that, if you use that money for an unqualified expense. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about that horrible situation or that what seems like a horrible situation. I think for parents at that time, it's like, what if my kid just doesn't go to college and I've saved up all this money? What happens then? You've got options. You can... Let the 529 continue on and change that beneficiary. So if if you've got a couple kids and you start 529 for each of them, one of the kids doesn't go, well, you can actually change that beneficiary over to another child or the, the, the remaining child and use that pot of money for that child as well. So you can still do it. The beneficiaries are incredibly flexible. In fact, you can change the beneficiary to just about anybody in your family, yourself included. So if you want to go back and take some classes at the local university and try and increase your your marketability for your own job, put your own name on that that beneficiary line and use that money tax-free or tax-advantaged for yourself as well. But if that's not the case, you can't always go back and take that money out for what would be known as an unqualified expense, which is like anything that's outside of tuition, room and board, books, supplies, all, all the core expenses that go into an education you're going to pay a little bit of tax and a little bit of penalty on that money, but you could get it back out. But there's one new alternative that came through on the Secure Act 2.0. Any remaining balance up to $35,000 could be potentially put into a Roth IRA for that beneficiary on the account. Now, there are a number of advantages. Andy, you and I both know that having time in the market is way more important than timing the market. And if you could set a new graduate up with a Roth IRA of up to $35,000 over a few years, because there's some some rules on how you can contribute that money, that can make a huge difference to the stability of somebody's retirement picture without them ever having to do anything to improve their retirement picture, which in my mind, brings up a potential moral hazard uh, along as well as a uh, potentially setting a stage for some bad financial behavior as well. But that's probably a topic for another show. 
I'd love to dive into the third generation challenge with you sometimes there, David, where, you know, if we give too much to our kids, are they really learning the benefits of the hard work or really what it takes to get there? So yes, a topic for another day. I'll definitely <laughs> definitely have you back on, on for that one. You know, there's some other parents out there that have seen the benefits of a UTMA or a custodial brokerage account as opposed to a 529. Can you talk to us about what that is and why that has some benefits too? Yeah, Uniform Transfers to Minor Act. It also may also be a UGMA, Uniform Gift to Minors Act. They're, they're very similar. The difference is in the type of assets that one can hold versus the other. So don't get hung up on that right now. Let's talk about how they actually function. There's some additional flexibility that's provided by using a UTMA because you don't have the restrictions of what you can and can't spend money on. If you want to spend it for tuition, great. If you want to spend it for college application fees. Okay, you can do that too. There's no restrictions there. If you want to buy them a new car as they head off to college to make sure that they come home and do their laundry at your own house, heck, you could do that. Pool of investments is also wide open for UTMAs. It is literally only limited by the the person you choose, the, the company you choose to invest your money with. The downside though of UTMAs, and I, I think we will certainly get to this, the contributions are irrevocable. So once you put the money in there, it's there to stay. You can only take the money out to benefit the minor that is on that account. So education purposes definitely fall into that. So that's that's okay. The biggest drawback is that the child gets complete control of the money once they reach age of majority in what state you live in. So that's going to be between 18 and 21. Now, you better have really good faith in your student, your child, that once they get their hands on that money, they're not just going to go take a nice spring break to Cabo and blow a whole bunch of it at one shot. And sure, there are certain things we as parents can do to hold a little bit of leverage over how they use that money. But you don't get the final say in that. They'll have to live with the consequences of doing whatever they decide to do with it. Depending on your relationship with them, I guess, depending on the financial acumen that they've ascertained up to that point, this could be a great thing or a bad thing, (laughs) depending on it. And I understand that there are some drawbacks to doing the UTMA route when it goes toward the FAFSA and the expected family contribution. Can you talk a little bit about that? So income is a really tricky thing when it comes to the FAFSA. Who earns it, how it's going to be rated when it comes to the FAFSA. So the the student's income is going to be at a certain level. The parents will be another. Same with investments and assets that go along with that. What comes through on on the parent side will generally be weighted less on, on the investment side versus what the student has available to them. And I mean, we could even layer in the grandparent level because I know some grandparents certainly like to do 529s and there's a whole strategy about when you actually use money out of the 529 from a grandparent because it becomes counted as income towards the student and you have the look back on the 529, or sorry, the FAFSA. And it gets, there's a strategy, there's a little game that you play with with all that, but there is a right way to do that. So if you're going to use a UTMA, it could potentially be not good, a drawback <laughs> when it comes to actually getting aid through the FAFSA for your student. You need to be aware of it. It's a good point. It's something to consider. It's good to look at all angles of these different tools because that's really what they are. They're different tools to help you to get to this, you know, student debt-free future. Now, let's talk to the parents who are just like, you know what, this is all super complicated. What about just me saving it in a savings account? What's wrong with that? It's a, an incredibly conservative option, and that has its pros and its cons, right? There are no tax benefits to come along with it, so nothing from the state for your income taxes, nothing for growth and withdrawal when you take that and use that money for any expenses. You're just paying taxes on that interest rate that you keep getting accumulated every year. And oh, by the way, 
Speaking of interest rates, I'm not sure if you've checked them out, but your local bank's not paying that great anymore. If you're using an online savings account, which I'm a big fan of, whether it's through, well, choose your your bank of choice. I'm not going to give any free ads for anybody here, <laughs> but you might get 4%, 4.5% if you're really lucky in some cases. That might keep up with the cost of inflation for education right now, but you're not going to be making any money on it and getting ahead of the ball at all. So you're likely going to be playing catch up when it comes to paying for college because you're just not going to make the the kind of return that you would hope to make in order to make a dent in a very, very large expense that's going to be in your life. Yeah. And Damien, I think there's something to the psychology of money here where you've specifically set it for a specific goal. And then by specifying it, it's harder to use it for other things. So like, for example, let's say I'm plunking a bunch of money into my online savings account with 4% for my daughter Zoe to go to college in the future. And then I see this new shiny Mustang Mach-E that I want to buy. And I could use that money for my car right now and then bye-bye future Zoe, right? Yeah, same same reason I advocate <laughs> for not using money from a Roth IRA to pay for education. It's similar, very similar concept is that I don't want you taking money away from your future retirement to pay for education. If you're using a savings account, you're going to be tempted with all sorts of shiny stuff to potentially use and other things that you may really genuinely need to spend that money on. And then you've got that guilt that compounds on top of that because you use that money for something other than what you originally intended for, which is your child's education. Yeah, I think there's something to separating it financially, psychologically, emotionally that helps you relax a little bit when it comes to your family financial plans. Damien, this has been fantastic. There's somebody listening right now and they say, okay, you guys talked about a lot of stuff. (laughs) I want to start saving for my kids' college today. What is one smart move that they can make following this interview to get on that right path? Spend five minutes. Get on Google. Google your state and 529 plan and see what's there. If you do not have a 529 account set up, they are free. They're usually pretty inexpensive. I don't think there's an expensive plan that I really know of out there, but see what tax benefits you can get and you can get started for a very small amount. And even if you just start transferring $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month, whatever you feel like you can afford, it's going to pay dividends in the long run. Absolutely. Quite literally. Quite literally dividends. (laughs) It's a a financial joke. It's a financial joke. A financial show, everybody. So, Tamia, talk to us about what's new in the Your Money Line world. Tell us about what Your Money Line is, and then where can people listen to your great show? Your Money Line is a financial wellness benefit that employers can buy on behalf of their employees, offer it to their employees, and they get to talk to my team full of CFPs and other just great folks AFC is accredited financial counselors who can help them with their day-to-day aspects of their financial lives. We don't sell them anything. We don't try and manage any money for them. We give them a resource of somebody who can come ask us questions and have a financial professional talk to you with no ulterior motive. So you have a question, you get answers, and we can both go home at the end of the day and know we did the absolute best for somebody and they've got good direction. So Your Money Line is a financial wellness benefit. Check us out, yourmoneyline.com. If you think that's something you'd like your employer or your company to have, tell them to check us out. We'd be happy to talk to them. But as Andy said, I'm on a radio show as well, Pete the Planner Show. Go to wherever your favorite podcasts are are published and search the Pete the Planner Show. You should be able to find us. It should be a middle-aged bald guy standing in front of a green background, I think. Uh, we are an entertainment show that masquerades as a financial show. We just like to have a lot of fun and we talk about some some interesting stuff now and then and I think that we like to, we like to think that we help people. 
I love it. You definitely help me as a listener. I listen to your show every week and I have for probably the past three to four years. I really enjoy it, both for all the reasons that Damien said here. It's fun, it's approachable, and it's great advice, and you never feel like you're being sold anything. That's the kind of relationship that I like to have with a podcast as well as a financial wellness company. So Damien, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Andy. I really enjoyed it. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Building family wealth and happiness becomes a lot easier when you have time. And what do our kids have in abundance? Time, for sure. Time to save, time to invest, and even time to make mistakes and still build the generational wealth that could positively impact your family tree for centuries to come. On our new generational wealth segment today, we're going to interview author and financial educator Janelle Espinal. Janelle serves as the Director of Educational Outreach at NextGen Personal Finance. She is currently on a political roller coaster ride across the country convincing lawmakers to make personal finance a high school graduation requirement. And thank you very much for that, Janelle, here in my home state of Michigan. Today, we're going to learn from Janelle and discuss the topic of teenagers, 
and credit cards and whether it's a good idea or not. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Thank you so much. I didn't know you were in Michigan. Yes, Michigan is actually one of the most recent states where we won that that fight, which is awesome. I love it. You and Whitmer making it happen. Thank you yes, very much. Yes, love Whitmer. She's awesome. <laughs> well, let's talk about this topic of teens and credit cards. Janelle, do you think teens should have credit cards? You know, I think as with a lot of things in personal finance, it really depends. It depends on their characteristics, their qualities, their personality traits. I think that when you're a teenager who is kind of a little scatterbrained and you are texting your friends like, when is the paper due? When is the midterm? What is the project on Monday or Friday? Like, You probably don't want to be adding another due date to your list of things to keep track of because you can barely keep track of the things you have on your responsibility plate now. Uh, on the other hand, if you're the kind of teenager who's like on top of it and you're the one who responds in the group chat, like, yep, project is on Friday, midterms on Tuesday. You know, if you need my study sheet, I got you. You know, if you're that type of teenager, then your personality traits actually align perfectly with the kind of person who's pretty ready to get started handling credit responsibly. I think that's great. You know, why are we even talking about this? Why are there pros to even having a credit card with all of the maybe disadvantages that could be out there? Yeah, you know, I got to say, one of the things I never understood when I was using a credit card myself is that it's pretty much an interest-free loan for the first 45 to 50 days, depending on your specific statement cycle and the dates revolve around, you know, the particular terms and conditions of your credit card. Every card is kind of different and obviously each user has different terms. But if you think of it as pretty much one of the only ways that you can borrow money absolutely for free for up to 45 to 50 days, that's awesome. It, there, there are so many advantages to being able to quickly you know, pay for something and know that in a couple of weeks you'll have the money and you can pay it back without interest. The tricky thing is when you pass the due date of being able to actually pay with no interest, which is after a period of time called the grace period. Now, again, I didn't know any of this stuff and I was using credit cards left and right in college. And I think a lot of people use credit cards before they actually understand the real benefits and also the drawbacks, which is really high interest rates potentially compounding over a long time if you don't prioritize paying that back very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about a little bit more of those pros because when I bought a house eventually, when I was ready, I needed something called a good credit score. So talk to us about why teens maybe would consider getting a credit card and building up that credit score. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, when I talk to teenagers and I travel a lot to different schools, high schools and colleges, the first thing they tell me is they want to be able to buy a house and they want to be able to buy a car and they want to just be independent. Like they don't want to depend on their parents for everything. And especially in, you know, the years kind of right after high school when there's a, a, a real passion for being independent and I can do this on my own mom. I don't need your help. And I think that that's great. We want to like foster that independence and nurture that if anything. But at the same time, it's really important for them to understand that there are certain missteps that you can easily take with a credit card that could really hurt your credit score. And the thing about the credit score is that it takes a long time to build good credit because you're making payments, you know, every month on an installment loan, or even if it's a revolving credit, like a credit card, you're paying little by little over time. And all of those payments are just giving the companies data, data about you being responsible and being somebody who pays back their debt on time. And all of that gets compiled. The more years of data, the more data points about you that they can use, the better, the stronger the profile is going to be. So if you're always making on-time payments for 10 years, 
that's much better than making on-time payments every month for one year. So they're much more likely to see you as a trustworthy borrower if you have a long history of making payments on time and all the other things that go into your credit score. But one late payment, one missed due date, one mistake can put a stain on your credit report for years, which is so tough because like being 18 or being 21, it's so easy to forget to make a minimum payment one month. And that can literally ruin your credit score for a year, two years, three years. And it will stay on there for many years until it's completely wiped off of your credit report. So I think that's why it's so important for you know teens to understand that, yes, this is a really important tool. You're going to need a credit score for things like taking out a car loan or a home mortgage one day if you want to buy a house. But more importantly, that if you make too many mistakes or even one big mistake early on, that it hurts your credit score and you'll either get denied for applications for a car loan or for a home mortgage or you'll get approved. But the interest rate on those loans will be so high that you'll be paying way more for things that your neighbors are getting for way less. Yeah. Well, let's talk to the parents out there that are saying, "Okay, I think I have a pretty responsible kid. Are there any like tips or hacks for me to get this credit score up for my kid without just saying, here you go. Here's a shiny Amex. Good luck, bro. <laughs> don't do that. Let's not do that. Let's not, <laughs> don't do not that hand them okay. a card and say good luck with that. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, and honestly, the sad thing is like, that's actually how it happens in a lot of cases. Like for me, I got a credit card in the mail to my college campus mailbox, like two weeks after I filled out a, an application on a clipboard from this woman handing out free t-shirts in exchange for credit card applications. Right. And, you know, and I talk a lot about that in, a, in my book that I wrote, I talk about this was all before the credit card act of 2009. So if you're a parent and you're listening and you're like, wait, hold up, there. I'm going to send my kid to college and they're going to get like attacked with credit card applications. No, that's actually not legal anymore for you to offer gifts in exchange for credit card applications on or near college campuses. So because, you know, let's let's admit it, that's pretty predatory. So it's very important for parents to know that that's not going to happen. Don't worry about that. But because it's not happening, it's now your job more than ever to introduce the concept of a credit card because you're not going to find out on a college campus or, you know, wherever if they choose a different pathway. So I think the way to introduce it is actually to first add them as an authorized user on your first credit card. Card. And I say your first credit card because that's the one that has the longest history of making payments and the longest age of credit, which is great because, you know, age of credit is one of the things that really matters for your credit score. It's about 15% of your total credit score. So that's a lot of points. If you can give them the longest credit history and longest age of credit while also giving them kind of practice with using a credit card, this is probably the best way to start. And the second reason why I always say it's great to start with your first credit card is adding them as an authorized user is because they don't have a hard inquiry for that. And I think that's the thing with a lot of young people. They have a hard time getting approved for their first credit card. They might get denied two or three times and then they keep going and applying. And every one of those applications is another hard inquiry, another hard credit pull, which dings your credit a little bit every time and it hurts. And then they're frustrated because they don't understand why they're not getting accepted. And they're frustrated because their credit score is going down and it, it just doesn't make sense. But if a parent you know, or guardian adds them as an authorized user status, they do not have to have any hard inquiries on their credit report, automatically get in, and you will be able to kind of control and see what they're spending money on. Ultimately, though, the drawback is you're responsible for any payments that they don't make. So, and I did this with my younger brother. I added him and even my niece and my and two of my other younger brothers, I added them all as authorized users on my first credit card. But the deal that I made with them was 
you won't get the credit card. Like I will hold it. Like, well, if you need an online purchase or something, sure. But other than that, they're not going to have it in their wallet because I just, I wanted them to establish credit first and get approved for a car loan and things that they needed. But later on, once, you know, we have a bit of trust, I might let them have it or they can just go ahead and apply for one on their own at that point because they've established credit with my authorized user status as as a way to piggyback off of my credit and help them get started. So in theory, a parent could add their child as an authorized user and then not physically hand them anything and just pay the bill on time like normally. And then that child is building their credit. Absolutely. Because all those payments being made every month and just having a credit card in your name, all of that helps you to add points to your credit score, even if you're not using it every day or if you don't have it in your purse. Like it's totally fine if they don't have it. I actually recommend that, especially for the type of teenager who's not super on top of all their responsibilities. That's a good way to ease them in. When you notice they're, they're being more responsible, then you can hand them the card or just have them apply to one on their own. Well, you've had this conversation with a lot of parents, a lot of teens. What's like a good age to maybe consider something like this? Do we have to wait until they're off into college or is this happening in high school? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's nice when they're a little older. So once they start really thinking about things like a car or a car loan, which usually is like 16, 17, because you can't really get a car if you don't have a driver's license. You need to be 16 most in almost every state to have a driver's license. So I would say like 16 is usually the lowest age I would say to do this. Now, I will tell you a few years ago, I was at a job of mine and somebody said in the office, like, oh, my two year old has a credit card. And I was like, wait. What? I I honestly had never heard that before. And I was like, what do you mean a two years old? And she was like, yeah, I wanted my son to just establish credit early. And so I added him as an authorized user on my first credit card. So now my two year old has excellent credit. That sounds great, you know, funny. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you do it at two years old or if you do it at 16, the benefits are exactly the same because all of the years of your age of credit won't change from the time that they're two. So it's, I mean, it's only going to get longer, so it's only more age. So it's kind of better to do it when they're 16. There's really no benefit to doing it before that. And the other reason why I don't like to encourage parents to do it with like two, three, four-year-olds is because one out of four children under the age of 16 are actually victims of identity theft because they have established something in their name and then it's easy to start hacking, you know, their social security, their date of birth and all that information. So I kind of would say wait till about 16 or older. And that's probably, you know, the best time to start having these conversations and thinking about authorized user status. Great point. And it's a good idea for parents to make sure that we're protecting our kids on all angles, both from financial security as well as building their credit. Janelle, you started to hint at it a little bit. Sounds like credit cards had a little bit of history in your life as well. Talk to us about the ups and downs of that and maybe some lessons you learned. Yes. I mean, this is literally why I'm so passionate about personal finance being taught in schools because I never learned anything about you know, credit cards or you're even budgeting my own money, you know, or banking or taxes or investing or any, any of these things. So I am so passionate about it because I felt like my whole academic tenure through high school, through college, like I felt deprived of this information. Like it was with, it was withheld from me. Like, and why, why was it withheld from me? You know, I had all these other academic classes and interesting electives and all this great stuff, but where was, where was the money management? You know, no matter what, I'm going to get a job one day with a paycheck 
And I need to know what to do with those dollars. So for me, I never got it, which is why I applied for a credit card on that clipboard my freshman year in college. And two weeks later, I picked it up at the mailbox and I went on a shopping spree. I got a credit. I mean, I went to the, the mall, Providence Place Mall, <laughs> right near my college campus. I picked up a laptop, which was a MacBook, because of course I didn't want a Dell. I wanted a MacBook and $1,800 right there. And then I paid for my textbooks. I paid for like there were certain things I'm not gonna lie. I needed them for school. And if I went back in time, I would probably still have to get a credit card and pay for my textbook. There were just things I needed and my parents are low income and just didn't have the money. So that's fine. There were things I needed, but there were decisions I was making that were just a little reckless. And once I saw how easy it was to just swipe and buy stuff, I got a second credit card. I went right back to the mall and I started buying clothes and shoes and, you know, Starbucks, Chipotle, movie tickets, bowling trips, like being 21, being 22 and not really thinking about the, you know, again, the consequences of that and the ramifications. So I would just pay the minimum every month, which, you know, thank goodness that I was that kind of kid. I was like very responsible. I kept track of all my due dates. So I never missed a minimum payment. But minimum payment alone isn't enough to get you out of debt. So the interest kept accruing. And by the time I graduated college, I had over $20,000 of credit card debt across multiple credit cards. And, you know, I just didn't understand how, how did I let it get so bad? And it's, again, it's because I didn't understand interest accruing, compounding, and the terms of a credit card. And how, if I was strategic, I could have actually used those credit cards as a 0% loan for about 40 or 50 days. I did have a job. I did have a paycheck. I just was not using the credit cards. I was abusing the credit cards. And so I really think if we can insert, you know, a bit of education right before the 18th birthday of everybody in the next generation, we could prevent a lot of, a lot of uh, Gen Zs from making the same mistakes that I made. Well, I think it's beautiful that you took that experience of your credit card story and you've turned it into a career for yourself in educating and helping the youth of America just have a better opportunity. Now, Janelle, somebody's listening right now and saying, yeah, you know what? I don't think my kids need credit or credit card. They could just live this sort of life without credit. And we don't even have to worry about getting into that. You know, you can get loans without credit. What would you say to that person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can get loans without credit, but it's going to be a much longer process. And there's only going to be up to a certain amount that you'll actually be able to access. Right. In terms of like the convenience of being able to access a car loan when you need it. Right. Or, you know, home mortgage loan in a very pretty easy, convenient, simple process. I mean, it's 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 complex, but in terms of the time that it takes, it's I would say a lot easier if you have a credit score, if you have a credit report, if you have a lot of data about how responsible you are. And not only that, but there were a lot of things that were much easier for me at 25, 26 years old because of my credit score. Like the the top thing that comes to mind was when I applied for my first apartment with two of my roommates and the landlord straight up on the application said, what is your credit score? And you must tick this box saying that you allow the landlord to run a background check and a credit report check on you so that they can see if you you know, made payments on time in the past and how you handle your credit and your money. If I had not ticked the box or if I had not put my credit score on there and said, cash only lifestyle, no credit. Like, I, I don't know if my landlord would like that. You know, I don't think I would have been able to get that apartment and, you know, start living my big girl life with my friends and, and my own apartment away from mom and dad. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that just come with you know, adulthood and making certain decisions and avoiding it because of fear of, of misusing it to me is just a way of avoiding 
facing that that responsibility of being able to manage, you know, your finances well. Don't run away from managing your finances well. Lean into it. Figure out how to do it in a way that works for you. And then you know what? It, there's going to be plenty of people that are going to say, "Yeah, but you know, I still don't want to do it." That's fine. I, I'm not. I'm not here to like push credit on people. But I do think that for the large majority of people in America, a credit score is going to be pretty impactful in some of the key decisions that they're going to make in their life. I think that's fantastic advice. There's lots of big, scary things that if we go into them without the education or the preparation could sink us. It's home ownership is one that pops up to my mind. You know, like if you go into home ownership without being educated or prepared, that could sink you. But man, how great is home ownership if you do it right for building wealth in this country? So Janelle, I love your message. I love all that you're putting out there. Please tell us about where you can get this new book that we talked about a little bit today and how people can maybe connect with you more. Yes. Uh, so I actually just got physical copies to my apartment this week, which is like amazing. It's an amazing like feeling. For you YouTubers, you checking it out. Yes. There you go. <laughs> if you're watching the video, there's the cover. It's so colorful. It's so bright. I grew up in New York City. So I like I told the book cover designer, like I would love to have it give me that like street art, New York City grunge vibe, you know, I think they did a phenomenal job. But so the book is called Mind Your Money, Insightful Stories and Strategies to Help You Reach Your Hashtag Money Goals. And it's broken up into two parts. First part is, you know, very knowledge based. This is just facts, content that you need to know. And the second part is action oriented. So here's what you got to do. And the book is available Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and you know, anywhere where you buy books, for the most part, some independent bookstores might have a harder time picking it up. But for the most part, you can get it pretty much anywhere where you would typically buy a book. You can follow me on Miss Be Helpful anywhere on social media, M-I-S-S-B-E Helpful. And of course, my website, MissBeHelpful.com. It's just, it's honestly so exciting to be like working on financial literacy right now because there's this movement across the country every month, another state. Like this week that we're recording this, Minnesota is going to have a bill signed into law. It's going to be the 20th state, which is amazing. Like 20 states. We're so close to half of the country having guaranteed access to this stuff. So that, you know, we don't need people to rely on books like mine or podcasts like this to be the only source of financial education in their lives. I include a lot of that in the book. So if you like that kind of thing and also personal stories mixed with personal finance, then I think it's a great book to check out. I love it. Janelle, we're going to put that book and your great YouTube channel in the show notes. And I love hearing that about Minnesota. They just did some great bill on helping for free lunches as well. I think Minnesota's on a roll with helping people get what they need and uh, and moving forward. Janelle, thank you so much for your time today and for your mission for what you're on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. Before we go for the day, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you liked this episode or if you liked any of the recent episodes, please consider sharing them with a friend or sharing it on social media. The best way for people to find and consider this program is from recommendations from people who listen to it. And that is you, if you're listening right now, if you've hung out with me this long, thank you. So please text a friend with this episode or another one of your favorites and tell them why you like it and why they should check it out or share it on social media. Be sure to tag your friend Andy at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. In. I appreciate your support in growing this message of family, wealth, and happiness. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Malala Yousafzai. 
College is a time for self-discovery and for learning how to think critically and independently. Here's to helping our children have a bright future. Carpe diem. 